Well, summer's almost over. It doesn't feel like it, but it is. I, I saw the calendar. School's starting back, and a lot of people live on the school calendar more than the January to December. It's almost like the school calendar. People are kind of getting back into their normal modes, and I've been thinking about evangelism, about the lost, and I've been studying the Word. So we're going to start a series on evangelism for the next five weeks, evangelism, and it's going to be from, this week it's going to be from Acts 18. So turn in your Bibles, open your apps to Acts 18. The reason I like this series is because I don't consider myself a natural evangelist. How many of you would consider yourself just a natural evangelist? A show of hands, one. I hope we got a couple in here. We got one. I know, I know, yeah, we got one or two. You're just naturally, there's no strangers. You can talk to anyone. You just, you, not only that, that's a personality thing, but then also you just have this desire. It's often people who've been, uh, maybe they had a radical conversion uh, and, and they just have this desire to always talk to people about Jesus. Now, for many of us, that's not the case, nor was that the case for some people in the Bible. In fact, Paul, we think about it, was not a natural evangelist many times. He struggled. But God used him, God grew him, and he'll do the same thing for us, right? Do we serve the same God that Paul did? All right, so Acts 18, we're going to learn how to be successful evangelists in our world. Let's read 1 through 11. It is Paul's second missionary journey. The year is 49 or 50 A.D., Paul has just is headed out of Athens to Corinth. Acts 18:1. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born at Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. There was a lot of upheaval in Rome, mostly because Jews like to be separatists, right? That's kind of was their culture, even though that's not what God wanted them to do. Well, in Rome, all of these Jewish Christians got saved, and they're blowing up Rome. Rome is getting saved. All these things are happening. So he goes, look, Jews, you can be here if you're just going to be in your little holy huddle. But because, you know, you're blowing up Rome, everyone out. I don't care, Jewish, Christian, Messianic Jew, everyone out. So... Priscilla and Aquila find themselves by the hand of the Lord, even when the world blows up or persecutes you, God's hand still uses you. I like that. And he came with them, verse 3. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked for by and worked with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. Greeks were anyone who was not necessarily just Greek, but anyone who was in a Jew. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, now they got a little group going, got some ministry buddies with them from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Well, he didn't go very far from the synagogue, did he? 
Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, even though Paul's not directly involved anymore, believed on the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed the word, believed and were baptized. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid. It's in red. If it's not in red in your Bibles, it's in red. The words of Christ. Do not be afraid, but speak. And do not keep silent, for I am with you. No one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among the people. So much going on in this text. Let's break it down. Let's learn some new things in the Word of God. You've got notes there. So it starts off with Paul coming to a new city and meeting some new people also. Aquila, the man, Priscilla is the lady. These are going to become lifelong friends and ministry partners for years and years. It's a divine appointment. Don't ever worry about persecution or when your life gets in upheaval or anything else. Priscilla and Aquila still had the hand of God upon them, and they met Paul in Corinth, and they're going to launch a new church. Now, this is no small feat, period, but especially in Corinth. Corinth was a large city, the uh, seconded only to Athens, about 50 miles west of it. It was a traveling port, uh, travel, not a port city, but a, a travel and commerce city, main travel routes. It was also extremely because it was traveling and because the goddess Aphrodite was there, which it was high promiscuity and extremely immoral. In fact, if you read First and Second Corinthians, so he's there a year and a half, he leaves and he writes to First and Second Corinthians because he hears about the issues they're struggling with. You know it of all its issues, immoralities, and struggles. It's just it's a hard culture they're living in. This is America. It's a hard culture we live in sometimes. I cannot watch the TV with my children without my hand on the remote. It's just, that's the way it is. So it's a difficult culture. It's a uh, culture with a lot of promiscuity, but God has a great plan there. So he, first he's got Paul there, and he, they meet Aquila and Priscilla, and they start doing some ministry together. They start off by working, uh, you know, doing tent ministry together. Then a few Jews get saved, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, upheaval until Silas and Timothy come. Okay, so I'm trying to set a picture up here. So they're starting and they're struggle, and Silas and Timothy come, and he's telling him, they tell him, listen, God's done some great things in Thessalonica where you first started that church. It's not going rough. It's not like it is here. Be encouraged. Things are going really well. In fact, so he's got encouragement from Priscilla and Aquila. He's got encouragement from Silas and Timothy. He's got everything he needs to, for this difficult time. Now, this is what's amazing. So Paul's a single man. He is in an area of a lot of promiscuity, a lot of issues, a lot of ladies with a lot of problems because they, prostitution was very, this is PJ 13, there's no other way to say it. Prostitution was extremely rampant and common in Corinth. In fact, as I said, the temple, the goddess Aphrodite had a large temple with like a thousand temple prostitutes, both male and female. Now, how is Paul supposed to minister and counsel and do all of these things? He's a single guy. He can't. He can't do a bunch of counseling with ladies, issues and problems and all these things. But what does God do? God brings a married couple, older, 
mature in Aquila and Priscilla to do so much of this ministry, he can't. He's not able. Does he have anointings and giftings and revelation from God and all these things? But he can't do that. And you can't have a local church unless you get people healed and kind of fixed. Church works in modes. Number one, it's, it's an ER. Church is an ER. It doesn't stay in the yard. It also becomes a family, right? Get them healed, get them loving each other, good relationships, healthy relationships. And also then it turns into, and this takes time, turns into an army. It never ceases to be in the yard. It's always in the yard. Come to me, all those that are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I came to seek and save those that are lost. The healthy need not a physician, those that are sick, right? It's in the yard, always. It's also a family. And then it becomes an army also, all of these things. So everything Paul needs, God is bringing him miraculously. Oh, I love that. What kind of comfort was this? Before we say our first point, what kind of comfort was this? 1 Thessalonians 3. Not only was it Priscilla and Aquila, 1 Thessalonians 3, 6. So remember, Paul and Silas are in Thessalonica. They meet him in Corinth with Aquila and Priscilla. Says this is, this is Paul writing now in retrospect to everything that Silas and Timothy told him. Now Paul writes after this great report. But now that Timothy has come to us for, from you and brought to us, what kind of news? Good news. Wasn't so good in Corinth at times, but good news of your faith and love and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction, what affliction is he talking about? He's talking about what we just read in Acts 20, in Acts 18, excuse me. In all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you? For all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect that which is lacking in you. Oh, and Aquila Priscilla helped me. Oh, Paul and Silas came and told me about the good things that were going on. Number one in your notes. God's comfort is unlimited. It's unlimited. Everything Paul needed in Corinth, because God had sent him there, God provided for. The ministry needs, the people he needed, all of these different things. And in fact, he was having opposition from the Jews when he kind of get, puts his hands back and says, Lord, I don't know if I can do this. Who gets saved? The leader of the temple the leader of the synagogue, it says. Everything that Paul needed, God supplied. Is it the same God today? Yes. He's a God who supplies friends, comfort, strength, practically all of these things he supplies. Now, I was watching uh, TV last night and I was flipping through. My kids have been obsessed with American Ninja Warrior, so I'm trying to find it sometimes. They love to watch people flip around and walk upside down on the hands on a one-inch bar. It's amazing. It really is. So I'm flipping through, and there was a boxing match on, and I used to love to watch boxing. And so I'm watching it for a little while. I'm watching these two guys box, you know, first round, second round. But about the fourth round, ding, the round's over. You know, they go to their corners. 
And the guy, you know, he's a little bloodied and he's tired. And when he gets to that corner, there's not one, not two, not three. Four people there ready for that guy. There's one guy who slides that little chair, that little stool underneath. He sits down. One guy's dousing him with cold water. One guy's putting water in his mouth. One guy's tending to his wounds. Four people for that one guy. Now, they're, they're older. They're not in shape. They can't have the physical abilities of this boxer. But I promise you, that boxer won't make it another round without that group. Huh? He doesn't. He's stronger. He's got amazing physical abilities. But without those guys encouraging him, they get there and they're talking nonstop. You can do this. Listen, you got to slip that jab. You got to do this. Splashing water in his face. Here, drink this. Putting medicine on him all. Trying to close his wounds up and everything. It's like 30 seconds, isn't it? That's like, it's like 30 seconds or 60 seconds. Boom, he's back in it. I thought that is what God does for everyone who's in ministry, who's di- not in ministry. I'm not talking about ministry. I'm talking about Christians who are doing ministry. Christians who are doing ministry, that's the way the Lord does it. Man, you get in there and you try and things work well and not so well. You come back out and you got some friends. You got some church members. You got a Bible study. You got this and you just start encouraging each other. God's comfort is unlimited. I never noticed in the Bible how God provided not only for everything they needed, but also for Paul's personal purity. In that wicked place of Corinth as a single man, God brought him that married couple to do ministry where he couldn't. That amazed me. It's like, God, look at that. Everything he needed, every protection, every accountability, God brought everything he needed. God's comfort is unlimited. Let's keep looking here. We're back in Acts 18. Let's skip down to verse 8. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, now we just read all the issues he had with the Jews. <laughs> Not only did they oppose him, Paul didn't throw this word in lightly, they blasphemed. Does it get any worse for you to go tell people about the love of Jesus and the glory of the cross and they blaspheme? That means they said, Jesus isn't God. You're a liar. You're full of it. It doesn't get much worse of a ministry experience than that. Okay. I've had some people yell at me and throw things at me or whatever a mission. I never had anyone do that. So difficult. Oh my goodness. They just. Verse eight comes out of the blue in the Bible. Where did this come from? Then Christmas, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. They were all his enemy. You know, Paul could communicate. Paul had a lot of knowledge. Paul understood the Jews. He was a Jew. When he had come to the end of himself, he said, okay, I can't do this. Your blood's going to have to be on your own hand. He just kind of threw his hands up and said, okay, that was a quote from Ezekiel, the, you know, your blood be on your own head or your own hands. He threw his hands up. He goes to justice, his friend, his, someone who's a Christ follower. It's close to the synagogue and either Priscilla and Aquila, they were Jews, remember, or justice or someone unnamed in the Bible besides the sovereign hand of God is going to get Crispus saved, is going to turn him from hostile to love. God just does it miraculously. Number two on your notes. The gospel turns enemies into allies. 
the gospel turns enemies into allies. Paul could not do it. He, he couldn't do it. He didn't have the ability. Either God had to do it sovereignly or God used someone who wasn't Paul. But God, the gospel turns enemies into allies. It's amazing that you read 1 through, one through 7 and it's all this difficulty. And then God just moves and it says, Then Christmas, the ruler of the synagogue, believed. When and how? Don't worry, God did it. He took care of it. He used it miraculously. He spoke to someone. He used someone. He just did it. He's God. That's a beautiful picture that he turns enemies into allies. Well, what kind of ally? I mean, did they just kind of get along? Did they, they become friends? What happened? There's a little bit in the Bible, one other verse about Crispus. We don't, we don't know anything else about him, but it's right in 1 Corinthians 14. Remember, we're in Corinth in Acts 18, when we read 1 Corinthians, it's after Paul had already spent a year and a half there, and he's writing back to them. 1 Corinthians 1.14. They're having a dispute. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Paul. All these things. So Paul writes to them, and he says in verse 14, I thank God that I baptized none of you except who? Crispus? This... What? How is this? How did you don't let anybody baptize you now? You got to know someone they're going to dunk you underwater and it's immersion. What miracle? What presence of God happened that the ruler of the synagogue who opposes him, who has hostility against him is now being baptized by Paul. What a beautiful picture that the gospel turns enemies into allies. It's a beautiful picture, kind of like these pictures. Maybe this one's not so beautiful. There is no greater success as when you turn your enemy into your ally. wish my kids got along that well. Here's a better one. That one's just goofy. There we go. There's a great man. I destroy my enemies when I make them my friends. Hmm. That'll make you just want to go, hmm. I destroy my enemies when I make them my friends. Time of greatest visceral separation in America in the Civil War. God raises up an ugly, gangly man who never went to law school but passed the bar, who lost 11 races in a row, our 16th president, Abraham Lincoln, but who had an ability, really by the Lord, a gifting, to say, I can love and turn enemies into friends. Somebody have been reading their Bible. I think Lincoln read his Bible, do you think? There's one other person who did this in the Bible. Not, not the only one, the one that sticks out. Do you know King David, right? The golden age of Israel. He occupies more chapters in the Old Testament, than, in the Bible, excuse me, than anyone else save our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there's a kind of a famous group he had called David's Mighty Men, right? Remember that? David's Mighty Men. It's in first, there's a list of them in 1 Chronicles 11. Some of them, many of them are prominent Israelites. Not all of them. In fact, 
Two of them, Zedek the Amorite and the famous Uriah the Hittite. Both the Amorites and the Hittites are enemies of Israel. Are they not? Are the Amorites and the, and the Hittites? You don't want them to be your neighbors, right? You don't want them to be marrying your kids. Enemies of Israel. Yet here are two mighty men from those tribes. Evidently, God's purpose can trump bloodlines and make cohesive groups capable of accomplishing His goals. If our Christianity does not at least leave room for enemies to become not just friends, but allies to accomplish God's mission, we may not be seeing the full scope and grace of God's possibilities and plans. Zedek the Amorite and Uriah the Hittite, David's mighty men. Remember when David was running from Saul all those times? What an amazing ability David had to love, to let the gospel be the gospel, even the Old Testament, let the Old Testament be the Old Testament. And he would make friends of these other tribes that normally were enemies. All right, we got to get to the red now. We got it. We got to get to the red now. You read the red and pray for the power. That's what an old pastor said. Read the red and pray for the power. Hmm. Sounds good to me. So this is the situation in Corinth. This is the picture of it all. And Paul can't sleep. Paul is worried about it going bad like it did in Athens, about how in the world, Lord, are you going to bring the, the Jewish, how, how are these Jews going to find Jesus? How is it going to work in this complex Corinth with all these different Greeks and all these different cultures? How are you going to do this, Lord? How are you going to build this church? I, I, it's beyond me. And he's laying in his bed at night and he's got a little bit of insomnia. If you, if you never just had insomnia trying to figure out, Lord, how are you going to do this? Think bigger. Dream bigger. Ask the Lord for bigger things. Ask the Lord to give you something so big it keeps you up at night and you have to depend on Him. Verse 9. Now the Lord spoke by Paul, to Paul in the night by a vision. Not in his sleep. is not, not the picture. In his contemplations, laying in bed at night. That's the picture of it in the New Testament. The first words of Christ in red, although Paul never met Christ face to face. Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent. Do not be afraid. Fear is the great silencer. We all need to know that in life. Fear is always the great silencer. Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent. Now, in just these few words of Christ, there are three commands and three promises. There are commands he gives. Don't be afraid. I want you to speak and no one's going to come after you. And then he has promises interwoven in there also. Number three on your notes. This is what I get from this. Speak the gospel like it is not an option. Look at your Bibles. Look at your apps. Look at the, I have the verse right there. Does that look optional? Look, this is exegesis. You interpret the Bible. You're a Christian. The Spirit of the Lord lives on the inside of you. If you know Jesus, does that look optional? That's not optional, is it? 
I'm not a natural evangelist. God's moving in me and working me. But I'm telling you, that's the command of God. That is the voice of the living God saying, you don't live in fear. You, what does it say? But speak and do not keep silent. As Christians, we must see that as a command of God from heaven that we will not be silent. The attack of the enemy in this culture is to to tell you to be quiet and invalidate you. That is the the demonic attack. That is a cultural attack. But that's a command of God in red. And speaking the gospel is not an option. We speak it in love. We speak it with a smile on our face. We may have to speak it with tears. But we are not silent. If I know that He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes into the Father except through Him, To my very core, I know it. He's changed my life. And without Jesus Christ, you're destined for a sinner's hell. If I know that, if I know it, then I must, I must speak it. I cannot be silent. And that has nothing to do with being a pastor. That is a Christian. Amen? I love you guys, but I I spend a lot of time studying this week. It, It gets in you. It messes with you. Let me tell you what happened. So Wednesday's my study day. Wednesday, I'm studying all day. Yeah, it went okay. It's kind of, oh man, seven, eight hours into it, it wasn't done. I was, you hoping it's done. You know, sometimes you got projects that take twice as long. It's kind of like that every week for me. So I was like, ah, oh, okay, Thursday, I, I got to work harder. Thursday, I come in, man, I'm, you know, plus the time on Wednesday, I'm on like hour 12 and 13. But because I'm on like hour 12 and 13, I've been staring at and looking at and thinking about, but speak and do not keep silent. But speak and do not keep silent. But speak and do not keep silent. My phone rings. Yes, yes. That's not why I brought it up, but that works. (laughs) But speak and do not keep silent. This is uh, window cleaning, fish window cleaning. Can we come clean the windows today? You're going to schedule. We do it every other month. Yes, come, come. I know who the guy is. So the kid who comes is in his 20s. He's, you know, come a half a dozen times. I've talked to him every time, building a relationship, trying to get to know him. I'm not going to cold call someone. Hi, my name is Stephen. Are you going to hell today if you don't know Jesus? <laughs> try, I try to, you know, ease it in, you know. Bake the cake the entire way. You know, don't, don't serve them batter. People get sick over raw eggs. So, hey, man, how you doing? Good, good. How's that going? Business, da, 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 That turns into 30 minutes of tell me about your life. And I actually got to talk about Jesus for the last 10. I just tell me about you and Jesus. He Great testimony. He was almost killed as a child in a car wreck. And he had flatlined and came back and I said, man, you think about it. That was my door. It's like, wow, most people really don't think about eternity, but you have experienced it in an amazing way because I listened for 20 minutes. It almost killed me. It did. I didn't say anything. I tried to listen to him. I wanted to know, and he talked about it, and I understood him. Then I had a door to the gospel. I said, wow, what do you think about eternity, and who is Jesus Christ to you? Well, then he talked about it and thought about it. Man, I just quoted script. I loved on him. You know why? Not because it was in a church and not because I'm a pastor, not because I have a sermon to preach. That's not why. Because for 11 and 12 and 12 and a half hours, I've been staring at it and looking at it. And it, it's things alive. And it just got in but speak and do not keep silent. And the, I'm, where's the window guy? Yeah, window guy. I'm looking out the windows. Anybody else here? Are the, let's see how the neighbors are doing. Go check on them. 
When you get the word in you and you start saying, God, God, I've got to have you. God, you got to do this. It, it's not, it, it was the opposite of being scared. It was like, I have got to say something. I have got to get this out. It totally changed for me. Someone who doesn't naturally love evangelism. It was a total change because I spent about 12 hours staring at this scripture. Speak the gospel like it's not an option. That's what happened to Paul. That vision of the night came to him. And the word of God, when Jesus spoke that to him, I'm t- I think he flew six feet out of that bed. I think he went to the temple and was waiting for the front door to open. I think he went to justice. I, it was just so much in him, it had to come out, right? Jeremiah said, it's like fire shut up in my bones, the word of the Lord. This is what he says. Now remember, we're in Acts 18, we're in Corinth. When we turn right now in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians 2, he's writing after all of this. He's reflecting on all of it. 1 Corinthians 2, 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellency of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I am going to preach the gospel. I'm going to talk about Jesus. I'm going to talk about the crucifixion. Look at verse 3. How did I do this? With great ability? Oh, I had great knowledge. I went to Bible college. I prayed and fasted all week. Look at this. It's amazing to me. I preach the gospel. I can proclaim and talk about it because it's not an option. It's not an option. And I didn't wait around until I felt like it. I didn't wait around until I could run the marathon to start running. I, I started. And how did I do it? I did it in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. That's amazing to me, especially as a man talking. Come on, man. I... I don't want to go run, play full court basketball after I just ate Popeyes. I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to be ugly. Let me do a detox and then get out there with those guys, and I'm going to show them how to do it. But I do not go play basketball after Popeyes because I know it's going to be ugly. He says, let me tell you something. I preached the gospel to you, whether I felt like it or not, I was strong or not. However, I did it in weakness, I did it in fear, and I did it in trembling. Why? Why would a man say that publicly? I did it with dents in my armor. Why? Because he said, he told me it wasn't an option. God told me it wasn't an option. So I'll do it every way. I won't wait for my hair to be all fixed and my makeup to be on Sunday morning. I'm going to do it every time because he said it wasn't an option. Amen? Come on now. Get, get that spirit of Paul. That's just, it's the spirit of God is what it is. Oh, Lord, I want to speak the gospel the way it's not an option. All right, let's keep looking here. That was just the first sentence of red. I love the. This is working. We're reading the red and praying for the power. It's working. We're back in Acts 18. We got to get through this sermon. We're going to have to pray here. Lord, come down and move on us. So he says, do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. Verse 10. Four. How are you supposed to be able to do this? Why is Paul, Jesus going to come to him and make such a huge statement that Paul has to follow? For I am with 
you. Ooh, I like that. That statement in New King James is found 14 times roughly. Starts in Genesis and goes through Old and New Testament. Genesis 26. Do not fear. I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants. Genesis 28. For I will not leave you. Do not fear. Behold, I'm with you, and I will keep you wherever you go. It's mostly found in the prophets. The vast majority, like 11 of the 14, is found in the prophets. Why? Because they got to talk all the time. The prophets got to be saying, thus saith the Lord. They're extremely evangelistic, right? They got to be, they don't get to be silent. They're like prophets and all. Man, you want to be a prophet, that's kind of a rough job. There's no backstage for the prophets. They just got to pray all day, then come out and say it publicly and say, well, if I die, I die. Isaiah 43, fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and from the west. Jeremiah 1.8, do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you. Jeremiah 1.19, but they will not prevail against you, for I am with you. Jeremiah 15, for I am with you to save you and to deliver you, says the Lord. Jeremiah 30, for, Jeremiah 30, 11, for I am with you, says the Lord, to save you. Jeremiah 42, thus says the Lord, for I am with you to save you and to deliver you from his hand. Jeremiah 46, do not fear, for I am with you, for I will make a complete end of the nations, but not of you. Haggai 1, this is the message that was spoken. I am with you, says the Lord. The whole message of Haggai, I'm with you. I am with you. That's it. Now we go to your Bibles. What are the last words of Christ? Matthew 28, 20. The Great Commission. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you and lo. It's like saying for. The same thing he told Paul. He said to the disciples and he said to who? Us. For I am with you, and lo, excuse me, and lo, what does it say? I am always, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Number four in your notes. I came around back to it. There it was. Evangelism comes with a promise. A promise. A promise from the throne of God. A promise in red, multiple times. A promise in Genesis, a promise in the prophets, a promise in the gospels, a promise in the epistles. It comes with a promise in black. It comes with a promise in red. It comes with a promise from the mouth of Christ more than once. What is that promise? Do not keep silent for I am with you. Come on. Is there anything is there any excuses we can have in light of that gospel, in light of those words? I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you, Paul. I'm with you. John, I'm with you, whoever it is. Evangelism comes with a promise. And he ends the statement with, For I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you. 
We're right here in Acts 18, 10. For I have many people in this city. For I have many people in this city. Many that will come to the Lord. Many that I love. Many that need to hear the gospel. Lastly on your notes. Number five. God's plans are bigger than we think. They're bigger. They're just bigger. They're bigger than Paul thought. They're bigger than Aquila and Priscilla thought. They're bigger than Silas and Timothy thought. Those people never thought that we'd be reading about them now, that their life would be eternal, not only because they knew Jesus, but in in the eternal word of God. God's plans are bigger than we think. Let us not limit God. Let me not do that because I am afraid or silent or small thinking or faith. We can't limit God, right? We don't want to do that. We want to say, Lord, I want to do everything you tell me to do. I want to always speak when you say to speak. And I know your plans are bigger than we think. It is estimated by theologians that this church, when this was written, had 40 people. 40 people. Even the highest numbers put it at maybe 100, but kind of average is 40. It didn't stay there. It grew. It actually became one of the largest in Paul's time. But when this was written, 40. We have more people at this church right now today. I think God will do great things if we'll take him at his word. Amen. I believe every one of us, because God said it, are evangelists. Have something to talk about to the lost and the hurting. The backslidden, the sideways slidden, whatever way. Amen. Let's stand up. Well, that's our start. We're going to use practical things. We're going to give you three-point ways to talk about the gospel and all those things. But before any of those classes, before we do handouts, and that's coming where you, you know, have some much more practical tools, none of it matters until God comes in here and says, okay, you don't be afraid. You don't keep silent. I'm with you. You talk about a recipe for a, a successful life. Do not be afraid. You only get to live in fear or faith. I trust the Lord or I live in fear. That's your option. Don't be afraid. Don't be silent. I am with you. Boy, I like that. I like that. If that doesn't get you going, oh, nothing will. Let's spend a couple minutes with Jesus. Let him talk to you.
spend another minute with Jesus. Talk to him. Maybe you grew up in a household of fear. Talk to him. Say, Lord, I don't want it anymore. You haven't given me a spirit of fear. Maybe there's been people on your heart for weeks or months or years you've never talked to. God's saying, no more. You speak and do not be silent. I'll give you words. I'll come when you start speaking. some kind of an altar call and this is a church-wide altar call this week no one needs to come up this is my question my challenge to you before you leave this room make a decision that speaking the gospel will not be optional in your life make a decision before the living God talk to him and say I'm done with it being optional when I feel like it when it's convenient. When I don't feel any opposition, then I'll do it. That'll never happen. You talk to Jesus and you make a decision. As I did this week, not preaching, that's more enjoyable. I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I'm not going to make it optional in my life. I will not make it optional in my life. And the pulpit doesn't count for me. It's a part of it, but it's not the only. You talk to Jesus. It will not be optional. All of heaven is listening. All of heaven is watching. Your Savior is looking at you with open arms, a smile on his face, saying, Who will obey my word? Who will hear the word of the Lord and operate and act on it? comes with a promise. Ask the Holy Spirit to seal it in your heart. Ask Him individually. We're about to ask Him corporately. close. I'm going to elaborate on the next morning with Paul. Now, I don't know about you, but when Jesus speaks to me, I get so excited. I want to go tell people, right? Paul must have hopped up. Maybe he didn't sleep all night. Gathered his group together and said, I'm going to tell you the vision I had last night. Come here, Aquila. Come here, Priscilla. Come here, Paul and Silas. Come here, you still wet behind the ears, Crispus, synagogue leader. The Lord has told us all to do something here in Corinth. 
have foundations, I believe we can do it. Do you believe that you can do it? Is God big enough to use you? I believe he is. He said he was, and I don't argue with God. We're not going to argue with God. Don't find yourself disagreeing with God. If he says, speak and don't be silent, don't put your head down and kick in the ground and say, I can't do it. We don't do that. Now we're going to together ask the Lord for this. Amen. Let's do it right here. Thank you, Lord. That's all. You can lift your hands. Do whatever you want to do. If you want to, let's just, let's ask the Lord. We're all going to ask him. Oh, thank you, Father. Lord, your word penetrates. Your word speaks. It is alive and active and it's spoken in our hearts today. It is just reverberating in us to not be afraid. We cast off every bit of fear. It doesn't matter if we're our personality trait or if we're a talker or quiet or an introvert or extrovert. None of that matters in light of the power of Jesus Christ. And you said to speak and not be silent. So we decide we will be speakers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We will do it without fear, without compromise, in a glorious, joyous, loving, peaceful confidence that comes from the Spirit of God. So Holy Spirit, right now, we are asking you to give us what Corinth had, to give us what Paul had, to give us, Lord, a spirit that is not afraid, that is not silent, because the Spirit of God is with us. Even right now, Spirit of God, fall on us. Even right now, Holy Spirit, invade our heart and mind. Right now, right now, right now. We receive the spirit you had for the Corinthian church where you moved and there was no one lost enough, no one broken enough that you couldn't heal. No one messed up in alcohol or drugs or addictions or apathy or promiscuity. There is nothing too great for you, God. We ask that you would come upon us, Lord, and anoint us to be speakers of the gospel. We receive it right now in the name of Jesus. We receive it right now in the name of Jesus. Just one more minute. Spirit of God, just come right now. Just come right now, Spirit of God. Just fill us. We can't do it without you. We won't do it without you. But you said, I am with you always. Oh, just a couple minutes in his presence will change everything. Just a couple minutes in his presence. mistakes that's fear let it go many of you thinking what didn't work then it may not work now absolutely not abandon it all the mistakes 
times didn't go well. reassuring people. You are. I'm not filling people. You are God. Oh, thank you for your presence. Oh, we got one more minute. Love is presence. Love is presence. You spend time in his presence, you'll always have something to say. together. Everyone praying. All of us praying together. You know, when Paul said that vision, they all started, you know, they all prayed together. No one was on the bench on that day. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come to you as a church. Lord, like this one, we want you to move. God, we want households to be saved. People, we thought there's no way People who are hostile to the gospel, Lord, coming to Jesus miraculously ways we don't even understand or know. But you moved. So we're asking for that, God. We're looking for it. We expect to see it. Households being saved. Individuals being saved. Visions, Lord, by night. Lord, we're asking as a group that you would move like you did in Corinth on us individually. We commit. We will not move off the line. We will speak and not be silent. We will not live in fear. You are with us. Here we stand. We will not move. I thank you that the Spirit of God will remind us when we go out of these doors, tomorrow, the next day, at work, and in our daily life. This is who we are. It is your church. This is the way you created us. This is what you created us to do. Thank you that you've given us your word. It is more than enough. Sealed with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen and amen. Now you praise him.